This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Welcome to our newest season of Humane Podcast in 2021. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and this is Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to our show. Welcome back, listeners, to the Humane Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about transformation in the workplace in remote and in the office and where we're seeing industries that are changing in a post-COVID world as we reimagine our economy opening up in the United States and globally. Our guest today is Stan Vlasimsky, who's a vice president of Paraveta Solutions, working on digital transformation solutions in the U.S. and globally. Stan, thanks for joining us on the show. Thanks, David. Thanks for having me. Well, as we all know, we've been living in the world that's been remote only or digital first. And as we're continuing to reopen the economy and reimagine work, the big conversation everyone's talking about in the water cooler is what do virtual teams and remote work look like in the future? Interesting question, right? One, we, um, I think we were moving to a more virtual world. And we have been for a while, but then all of a sudden over a span of a few weeks, you know, everything was accelerated. I think that that was always going to happen to some extent, but I think what changed, which is we went a hundred percent virtual, or at least those of us that could. So not the essential workers, but rather knowledge workers and others. And, uh, I think that there is some hybrid that that's here to stay, right? There's sort of two elements to this which is one, how do you make teams effective and motivated where we're used to walking around, having team lunches, mentoring and recognition and all those things. And the other side, it was safety and belonging, which is the human element of how do we make human relationships? You know, how do we feel 
safe in what we're doing. And, you know, there's safety from a COVID perspective and there's safety from a job and employment perspective. So a lot of different factors that we're all dealing with at the same time, all on a very accelerated basis that are going to have some semblance in the future of how we work. It's so interesting because uh, our industries intersect in similar regards that, you know, I do a lot of work in educational consulting and your industry is very much digital uh, consulting as well. And we've seen as well that a lot of our teams, it's so different when it's remote. You're trying to discover how do you mentor or do you have these learning Fridays or do we have these live lunches? I mean, what are some of the solutions or experiments that you've been working on to improve your teams? Well, obviously, you know, lots of people have leaned into virtual coffees and lunches and happy hours. To some extent, there's some, some fatigue from that, right? Because it's almost like we over-rotated on doing those things. I think the things that have been harder to experiment with because the, like the mentoring, I'll put it into two categories. You know, we started with a, just like you and I are on a video conference and such. And that has its time and place, but there's a degree of formality with that. And we spend so much time sitting behind our screens and looking at the screens or looking at dual screens that one of the things we've encouraged to start to do is do, you know, walking mentoring, meaning there is no video. We're just everybody go out and walk, which creates a little bit more informality of the conversation rather than a more concern around where's my career going and more of a, hey, how are you doing as a human being? Let's not have me focus on your facial expressions and mm -hmm. just try to listen better rather than look at what I see. So there's an element of that. The things that have been difficult, it's, so we are employee-owned company. We uh, are completely uh, employee-centric. So our whole uh, concept is, is whoever we hire, we be believe can become a leader, a vice president in our organization, and we develop them that way. Uh, we have very rigorous process. Everything is fully transparent, salaries, financials, everybody sees everything. But we have things like boards to go through cohort levels. Boards require you to work a case. In general, you would have you know, a board that's sitting in a room, a, you know, somebody, one of our fins, which is what we'll call our employees after dolphins, would sit up on board, work something for a couple hours. We'd come in, talk to them about it. Now we're doing that virtually. So how do you see the work they're, they're doing? How do you help coach them through the solution? That has become much more difficult. So we've been experimenting through you know, how you scan things, all the collaboration tools we use with our clients, we're now having to use with our employees from a career growth perspective, because we used to be able to leverage whiteboard and physical proximity. Now we can't do that. So now it's like multiple cameras, scanning their work, you know, collaboration boards, all those things. So it's, it's really been quite a journey compressed into three or four months. And that journey has been accelerated, as we've heard from a lot of leaders in the industry. Uh, we'll talk later in the show about how the CEO of GM has been looking at accelerating technology, particularly with ventilators and masks. But in all industries, including automotive and the work that you do, leaders are leaning in. They're making changes, and the changes may not always be right, right? The challenge with leaning in, as we've heard from you know, leaders like Marissa Meyer over the years, is that... Well, you have to be willing to also fail forward, you know, and fail forward doesn't mean like failing, but it means it's an experiment. It's agile, it's iterative, and there's change. You know, what are some of the problems that you're trying to solve or where your team's been leaning in in this work from home environment? So there's sort of a couple for us. One would be more the traditional one, which is 
how we're helping our clients evolve. And obviously, if you think a lot of people are looking at what the Googles and the Facebooks and others do, and they now have set the benchmark, the barometer of what your traditional organization should do. The other side of it, which is how we help our customers in the market, as well as think more agile. And usually there's two parts of that. There's digital, but in itself, there's a big human element of it. I'm a techie. One of the things I like about uh, your podcast, which is the human element of it, which is even though I'm technically centric engineering upbringing, I learned that the most complex algorithm that exists is the human brain and how humans interact with each other. And that's the more challenging thing. So if you think around large organizations, organizations of any size that are trying to shift to how they think about things, I'll use automotive as an example, right? A very, very old established industry been around forever and it has a huge impact. And obviously there's been a huge impact based on COVID-19 and a lot of things that were happening. One is that sales were down significantly but also the things that were happening in the industry have changed, meaning electrification still important, autonomous still important, but autonomous, very tied to ride sharing, subscription models and all that. So being put a little bit on the back burner while people deal with just the financials and trying to sell automobiles, that will come back. What is happening accelerated is digital retailing, right? So in that case is really helping the acceleration of contactless right? Buying of cars and how does that work? And when you and I talked previously, it's like a Tesla, right? The Tesla model is different. The Tesla model, in fact, is, is illegal in certain states. They can't sell in certain states because of franchise laws, mm. which were put in many years ago, right? To protect ultimately franchisees or dealers in smaller markets, right? So that's not the unintended consequences of today. So helping people accelerate that journey around digital, which is difficult in a multi-tier system where dealers provide value, right? But ultimately now you have each dealer is a dealer and does their own thing, right? For their market, how do you create a seamless experience? So that creates a lot of interesting complications that the traditional OEMs have that a Tesla does not. Tesla has its own in regards to trying to push a new model. So there's really accelerating that journey. And then on the other front, now you're doing that in a world that's more virtual. And so there's agile, but then how do we help our clients around how can they be efficient and effective in this new model where they're similarly used to the physical contact and presence and going to conference room and a whiteboard and a retrospective is still more physical around the virtual experience. So really around work practices, leveraging both what we do internally and expanding that out into the broader ecosystem addition of the third parties, as well as then how do you accelerate these, these digital concepts that the current situation is accelerating that we're always going to happen anyway. Just we're doing five or 10 years in five or 10 months. And it's so fascinating that we're looking at both team health and organizational health. You know, as you've called out the use case with Tesla, of course, they've been a very agile company. You know, they uh, recently had closed down a lot of these franchisees, perhaps from both the government laws and then not seeing that 
shift in their business, but then naturally they also continue to evolve and shift. Uh, they now have this electric semi truck that has been growing in the market. There's been a lot of interest there, and they had new announcements for that even during the COVID world. But beyond what Elon's done, I've seen so much transformation in the automotive industry. It's continuing to change. And particularly, I was listening to a podcast episode on Masters of Scale with Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, about how they're going all in on autonomous vehicles, all in on R&D, even during the COVID time, you know, to accelerate that transformation. And it's fascinating to see that it takes both teams and organizations for that to happen. Absolutely. And if you go look at, you know, I'll use the two T's, the Toyota and Tesla, right? Toyota, biggest manufacturer, 250 billion versus Tesla's like mid 20s or something. But Toyota, similar, has got a big push on autonomous, but more on, hey, the safety of the vehicle. And then really a lot of it is around, you said agility. Agility is, is also in thinking around what are the economic models we're going to have in the future. And that's where ultimately the connected car and having all those services that ultimately are built in because ultimately the profit model is no longer or hasn't been for a while around just buying a new vehicle. So then it's also around what's the flexibility around models around service, right? Which is ultimately much more profitable. But how do you make in this contactless world, right? Are you going to basically, you know, go to a somebody who owns one of your cars or one of your brands to their house, do the service there. Are you going to clean the car afterwards? Are you giving a loaner, you know, how are you going to know that loaner has been cleaned appropriately? So there's the reality of safety and how COVID-19 can be contracted. And then there's a the perception of safety, right? And that goes into also like ride sharing, Uber and Lyft saw 80% decreases in ridership in April because of those sort of fears. And so, the Toyotas and the Teslas of the world are adjusting, right? Tesla has the direct model. Uh, a Toyota has a smart path, which is their digital retailing solution, which is trying to deal with that agility within the context of their dealer environment. But then how do we ultimately provide a better customer experience through service, through the connectivity of the car, through the safety of the vehicle, Right. And the online experience and what happens afterwards. So all that's going to be important. I think the things that Tesla did well is the brand experience. Right. So rather than it's a salesman and you go to a dealership, I go to experience center and I get to see what Tesla looks like, but I still order it online. That is a big part of the future the convenience and both the reality and perception of safety in the contactless world, because even post-vaccine antivirals, whatever, I think we have been changed forever to some extent, and we'll have to deal with that new normal. And many of that is positive, and some it's going to you know, require some more work. You know, although I live today in New York City where I don't any longer have a car, I do see some of those cars, of course, through the Ubers and Lyfts, and a lot of those vehicles on the road are Toyotas. In fact, you know, when I used to live in Florida, all the cars my family's own has been a mix of the Toyota and Lexus family and the GM family. And I've seen a lot of these vehicles. I've been at the dealerships. I'll tell you, as someone in the consulting business, just like yourself, there's nothing like that in-person experience. It's magical, right? You get to be with the 
kick the tire, as Mary Barra from GM said, you know, you get that whole experience. And the other day in New York City, I was just walking my dog on the street, and I see one of these Carvana uh, trucks come by. And it's just an Isuzu, like Asian brand, just with a truck on it. It's nothing special. I think what's interesting, it's a different modality for delivery. It's that contactless delivery. And I think you're right, like, you know, Toyota and GM are in the game right there as well, getting into contactless, they have the apps. So I think, you know, whether you're big tech or small tech, you can transform in the post-COVID world. You can, and uh, you know, where it started was obviously in in used cars, and that's where ultimately the Carvanas, the CarMaxes, the others of the world got in. It was harder with the new cars because of the franchise laws and the requirements. And part of it is, is Tesla didn't really have dealers or the dealers they had, they owned, right? And that was the difference. And so the GMs, the Toyotas, they have these dealer networks and these distributors and they can't take that all back, right? So they have to work within that model to provide that same experience that a Tesla or others can. And obviously there is some extent where Tesla's viewed as new age and you know, the hype, but Anybody can do elements of that. And there is great strength in, in what a Toyota or others can provide if they can adapt to the current environment. And they are very all very aggressively moving in that direction because if you simply look at what happened, there were no car sales in New York when everything was shut down. And even when, it's, when it comes back up, if you go look in, and if you go Google websites of different dealers or franchises, you'll see the ones that are handling COVID well and ones that aren't, right? There's ones like we're shuttered and there's ones that are telling, hey, here's how we clean our cars and we're doing the following health checks of our employees. And, you know, they'll show pictures of people distance and uh, you go into the dealership and they'll have lines where you should stand and that you're apart. But a part of what you said, which is, you know, 80% of people's research is done online for buying a car. About 10% of the car is actually transacted online. So automotive is amongst the last in the broader retail space to move that direction. But now that is accelerating with all these platforms that provide that connectivity into the dealerships, either provided by independent third parties or by the OEMs themselves, like Toyota and such, to provide that experience because they can reach deeper into their own systems, right? In Tesla, you're you're building the car that's going to be built for you and they provide you a, hey, if you don't like it in the first 30 miles, just bring it back. The traditional OEMs have built stuff hoping it will sell and then do incentives and rebates. So now you're going to see more of reaching directly into the back end of the supply chain and, and manufacturing, looking at those customer signals. So there's going to be, well, there has been a lot of change and there's going to continue to be a lot of change over the next uh, couple of years. And we've seen in the post-COVID world that there's been a lot of that decoupling of the supply chain and even decoupling of like human performance. As we've been talking about on the show, you know, humans are seeing like, how can I be at peak performance in this world while being socially distant and healthy at the same time? And when we see dealers and franchisees at locations with Toyota opening up, I mean, the challenge is, you know, a lot of these employees are just 
exhausted, right? Because we've been constantly, uh, let's say, mentally attacked by COVID and protests and just everything. It seems that nothing's going right this year, but optimistically, we're reopening, right? I mean, I think we are looking to the forward future, and that is, you know, beyond where we were and how we can be more nimble and agile. Bringing everything back to Paravetta Solutions, I mean, for your people, what are, what are some ways that you're helping people stay mentally healthy, or especially while they're on the bench today, so they can recharge as we reopen? You know, we, as we've talked about, we're three or four months into this, and the, one of the things that, that I, we think about a lot, which is, how do you go through this for 12, 18, 24 months? You know, we went through the initial shock of it. So if I think about those first days that we were making decisions to go remote and, you know, it was all accelerated and there was a lot of fear, right? There was the fear of the unknown. And now it's almost like there's the fear of the known, meaning this isn't going away. And sort of two things. One, productivity measured in output of the consulting work we do or two clients has actually gone up. If I go look at the teams that that I'm involved in probably anywhere from five to 25%. I think that's for two reasons, right? One is, is we've reduced sort of some of the friction cost of commuting and all those things that happen. And then secondly, I think there's an element of, even though we're a very employee friendly company, everybody has seen people in their ecosystem be impacted, furloughed, laid off, whatever. So I think there's an element of the Hawthorne effect, which is ultimately when people believe they're being measured, their productivity, right, changes or generally improves. And so I think even though there is no explicit saying you should be fearful for your jobs, going back to your comment about bench time and stuff, people are because they see it. And so I think it's caused people to blur work-life balance more than ever because we're at home. So if you look at me today, I have, uh, as well as yourself, I started with, hey, let's wear what we would wear at a client. And I still do that in client meetings and such. But I'm also now trying to wear a T-shirt or I show up in my biking outfit, letting people know that it's okay to do something other than work, right? And that's been hard because people are, I mean, our utilization has been off the chart from a people because people are not taking vacations. They're not taking PTO. And what are you going to do? Am I going to go from my home office to my living room to take vacation? Right. There's <laughs> travel has been shut down. So really I'm talking today from New Mexico. I live in Dallas just to get away because for three or four months, I didn't leave my neighborhood. Right. Other one time to take my son to a doctor's appointment. And so I think it's really making our employees feel like it's okay to take time off and emulating that behavior. And then I've adapted myself from being like, I'm always the client to sort of showing like, Hey, I'm more to relax. I'm wearing a t-shirt right now. It's all good. So those are the informal things. The formal things have just really been getting better around understanding of how you connect with people and how you read um, them and make them feel like they can connect with you. Cause I was used to, I'd run to somebody in the office. I chat with them. Now you have to create all those things intentionally because those things don't happen by chance. We're not Zoom bombing to, to make connections with people, right? People do that, but that's not the way we are. And so it's really adapting of how do we create those touch points in sort of a normal, not weird way. 
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. And Stan, like all of us, you are a human. And so you're showing that human element of yourself. And not only are we all in this together, but we all have passions. We all have hobbies. We all have side projects that we're scaling for things that really make us live out our passion. And, you know, you and I previously connected that beyond being a leader in digital transformation, you love getting involved with businesses and supply chains. So you've been involved in the restaurant industry with some of these fleets and products. And uh, that's, of course, been a very challenging time for the entire industry. Um, What are you seeing firsthand with your involvement in that space? Well, you know, again, I'm Primary job has always been a consultant for my, my 33rd year. That means I'm pretty old. But uh, also, as I, uh, I spent 25 years at Accenture, retired from there in 2013, I always was fascinated by uh, real estate and, and restaurants, particularly around the restaurant concept. And so got involved in a couple of restaurants. The second one in particular was very involved in design. Um, you know, we literally this last weekend, this is really sad on a number of different levels and speaks to the uncertainty, which is it's not clear for a restaurant that is a nicer restaurant, a higher end restaurant in regards to if you are going to physically distance and practice what you preach, meaning try to keep your employees safe and your customers safe while still remaining open. There's not a great economic model currently because ultimately you really needed to be 85 plus percent utilized And the floor space doesn't work to do that. So, for example, our nicer restaurant, we have just moved it into event space, meaning we're going to rent it out until we can figure out what's going on, because it's there's more labor costs and there's less ability to utilize your space. And so, therefore, the economics won't work for a lot of restaurants. Now, if you're pizza delivery or whatever, you're probably in a reasonably good place because there's lots of that right now. So I think there's going to be a lot, lot of upheaval and a rethinking of what the models are um, for things such as restaurants or, you know, retail and malls and all the things are going to be, you know, similar impact as, as people try to figure out. I needed a certain kind of density of customers. And then there's the element of people go to a bar and restaurant to feel a buzz and whatever, not for it to be quiet you know, like you're in church waiting for prayer to begin. And so there's also the dynamics of what's the experience that we're working through. And that's going to be hard. And I think we're still right in the middle of that. And I would say, at least for me personally, in the type of restaurants that I'm in, there's not a good answer right now. What there is, is just going back to the event space, being flexible while you wait for certain things, vaccines, antivirals, and things to play themselves out to where you can figure out what the model is that's still safe, but unclear on when that is. Right. And even in New York, we've seen how one of the 
best restaurants in the entire world. 11 Madison Park with Daniel Hum uh, has come out publicly stating that they don't know if they'll reopen in a post-COVID world. In a during-COVID world, they've actually become a soup kitchen of sorts, where they've been helping the homeless and partnering with nonprofits to to get food on the table for New Yorkers who've been furloughed or, or laid off from the COVID crisis. But we've seen that you know companies that are coming back, who are starting in restaurants and retail, they're bringing in this like European flair that you typically don't see in the U.S. I mean, Neiman Marcus is emerging from its you know bankruptcy in New York, and they've started bringing out booths uh, to try products in the streets of New York City. You see the bizarre style of you know Europe, where people would shop on the streets, starting to appear in areas of New York, and you even see street dining and block parties starting to emerge. So it's so fascinating that maybe Europe got some things right that America is only rediscovering now as a result of COVID. I think it goes back to our early discussion around just agility. I think, you know, this is going to test every organization, every leader. Agility and product and all those are, and digital, right, all the words that we like to use right now, but it's real at this point in time. I mean, either you figure it out or you don't survive. And I think there's an element of where there's a positivity as it relates to as you said, there's so many events going on and tragic that, that just add to the, the current challenges that we have that we need to deal with as human beings and as a country and such. But that aside, you can see the positive in regards to us really thinking about the connections that we make. Right. And I think going back to your, your European, I'm uh, my parents uh, both emigrated from the Czech Republic. I was born in Germany, so I'm more European. And as far as that connection that you have, you know, with your parents, even though I moved from Germany to Oklahoma, right? And when I would greet my dad and kiss him on the cheek, right? People were like going, okay, that's a bit strange. You know, like, that's just, you know, what we did. And um, I think there's that element of, and you see some of it. My wife would do a lot of work down in South America and stuff, which is the way people connect as a community not necessarily with their technology, which is I see, and I think the, that European flair, which is how do you find a way to create that connection in smaller pockets rather than that mass, you bring a bunch of people into a big space that may be beautifully laid out. And to add to that, we're seeing the rise of contactless payments everywhere. I remember pre-COVID where I could barely use Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, or Google Pay at most locations. And now everywhere I go to, everyone accepts it. I think it's interesting because some countries are now doing tech subsidies to integrate contactless payments everywhere. And no longer you're seeing those minimum transactions of $10 or $25. Hey, you want to do a $2 purchase? That's fine. You can use contactless. But we still have maybe some of that vendor lock-in. The other day, my contactless payment of choice is American Express. And a certain location said, oh, we take Apple Pay, but we don't take American Express. So there's still a little bit of that infrastructure that needs to be set up. How are you seeing contactless payments helping perhaps with restaurants or or even some of the clients that you're working with as well? Well, I think, you know, the restaurants, I'll say is a simpler answer. If you go look at anything in the current environment, it's the weakest link type thing. So ultimately, if if I go order takeout, I go to the restaurant and the guy with a mask comes out and, you know, brings me my hermetically sealed, you know, meal, that's all great. But then when I have to hand him a credit card and he hands me a pen, 
to sign something, you know, that link has been ultimately, you know, broken as far as being contactless. And so, you know, we saw that in our restaurants as being truly contactless. And to some extent, people preferred picking it up versus having somebody they didn't know deliver the food to them because we're a neighborhood place. So they'd be happy to pick it up knowing they controlled, they had a full custody of that chain. So that whole contactless payment became much more important, meaning you do everything online and then you just pick things up and, and ultimately you can go do it. I think with our customers, depending on or who we're consulting to, it's going to depend on industry, but you similarly have got to make the process easier. And so if you look at, again, automotive, right, there is a, I can do all the front end upfront research and such, but in the back end, there's the contactless payment, but then there is all the legal paperwork. So I'll put that all together, which is how do you make those things that traditionally required signatures, right, and human interaction? One, it's painful and people don't see the value of it. Anyone's ever bought a house or a condo or, you know, sign 150 documents that you don't know what they mean and you couldn't read them if you had a week. So I think it's simplifying all those things are really important to the experience. Obviously, at the base of that, the core of this is being able to simplify payment transactions. And if you look at the Venmos and other things that have happened, you know, almost like a social type experience in regards to those, but that, that's become the norm. And my children don't even know. My children, three of which who ended up back in my house and weren't living at home, but uh, are now back in Dallas. But, you know, I don't know that they've ever written a check or know what one looks like. And, uh, you know, the first thing they go to is Venmo, Apple Pay, you know, the, the other ones that are out there. So I think that's going to be core going back to, we also have a generational shift of much more comfortable with, mobile phones, apps, and such. So I think one, it's gonna be a requirement of COVID and simplifying and part of this digital transformation. But I think also too, it's part of the generational transition where that's just the way that those generation expect things to work. If they don't work that way, that's not a brand that they're gonna to wanna to work with. And that generational shift is so fascinating because the you know, generation alpha, the generation, you know, post 2000, perhaps like your kids here today are going to be moving into the new workforce models soon. And that new workforce is going to be one that's accelerated by contactless and safety. Looking at the automotive industry, of course, you know, safety is key. We've been hearing the work at Toyota and other companies is everyone's getting temperature checks. Everyone's having these social distance six feet apart markers, plexiglass screens. There's so much occurring in the human and offline world, but a lot of this can also translate to RPA. You know, what are some of the other things you're seeing that the industry is doing to be resilient and effective going forward? As you talk about RPA, right, there's the dark side and then there's the positive side of it, right? The dark side, if you look at all the traffic on Twitter and Facebook and a lot of things that are, I would say, creating some of the divisiveness in our in our nation are being driven by, by bots that are emulating human beings. So they're uh, versus there's the positive where I can I can advertise and I can I can ask, right, an RPA bot to on my behalf post things that help push my restaurant at the right times with the right specials, right? There's, again, the dark side of what we can do with it. But I think more than not, if you go look at it, 
everything that's happening from customer service, everything that's happening from just the volume of data that we're getting from the sensors of, of cars, there's such opportunity to ultimately automate the tedious tasks that you have in doing those things, everything from ultimately more intelligent leads, which is a lot of what ties to the digital systems that the OEMs and these other companies are trying to put in place. But ultimately, it still gets down to how do I use, for example, an RPA to create help create that seamless experience from when I'm shopping for something to when I either transact online. But one of the things you talk about is virtual experiences. Also, I may want, it's not like this shirt, it's just from Lululemon. I know exactly the shirt I want and I can buy five more of them for a car I might not. So along the way, RPA, some of the automation can help the work that we manually used to do improve the quality of that experience, that lead, that connection that happens through the initial analysis down to when somebody who's buying a car will walk into a dealer, test drive it, and then close the transaction. It can all be underpinned by ultimately automation, those processes that have traditionally been, I won't say more manual, but you know, pushed in more traditional ways through distant organizations and such. Again, going back to as things get more digital, that's going to happen. It'd be accelerated because there's so much more data to deal with. And every day there's so much more data. Again, it's never going to end. And now the worry is, is what do you do with the data? And what do you do intelligent to data? Because it's no longer a lack of data. It's I got too much data. And, you know, people have data. We've seen this with these contact tracing apps and whether those have been piloted in the United States or globally, everyone wants to live in a physical world. And that means moving and moving safer. And that means reawakening the buyer experience. You know, we've seen during the entire COVID crisis that the national savings rate in the United States went up to almost 33% in some states. I mean, historic levels. And I would attribute some of that to the uncertainty, right? You know, when people are uncertain, what do they do? They buy gold, they, they hoard cash, they, you know, hunker down. But as we're continuing to reimagine and, and reopen and reawaken the economy, you know, what do you think is possible? For the buying experience you know do you want to get back to in person do you want a life that's going to be hybrid online offline what are some of the trends that you're seeing stan well, i'm going to go a little orthogonal for you first which is ultimately a little bit and it, it ties back to leadership and teams and stuff and one of the things that was interesting for me to begin with which is hey we all had to navigate this and going back to empathy but i had to acknowledge to people that hey i'm scared too even though I feel like I can lead through this crisis, I'm scared. There is uncertainty or financial uncertainty, personal uncertainty, right? My 89-year-old mom in a senior living facility, all those things gave me fear. So one of which was recognizing with people that fear exists and everybody. And for me, I'm fortunate where I look at it, what I felt terrible about with the restaurants, which is you have people who live paycheck to paycheck often, right? So I'll tie it back to your question, which is, I think we're going to be in some sort of hybrid world. And I think your your comments about European flair brand recognizing what the consumer wants is going to be even more important than it ever was. And you're going to have to morph to a hybrid. So rather than saying the strong sales experience, people value product expertise. Okay. So rather than saying, than having somebody, this is the salesperson, this is a person that can help you pick 
the product that's going to meet your lifestyle. And I think that, you know, tying back to car buying, there's obviously virtual augmented reality and there's a technology we can use, but you can also create experience centers where ultimately people go in and have a more immersive environment. And so I think brands will have to adjust to that or adjust to both the online and offline, meaning, hey, how do I make it frictionless for you to shop online, but to send you something where there is not a cost to you to send it back? Because ultimately, you don't have the comfort that I'm buying a pen, and so it's a commodity. So I think it'll be a combination of both. But again, this whole idea from sales to product to product expertise will become really important because that's going to underpin the customer experience that people are looking for, which will be both online and digital and offline. But the offline part of it, I think, will be less of you're being sold to more than I'm trying to help you with your lifestyle and I'm there in your corner. And yes, things like climate change, right? Diversity, all those things will play in, particularly with the generations that we, you know, that we talked about. Um, and I see that very much in, you know, in my children and how they feel about things and brands and what brands they'll work with and context, right? They're, they're 17 to 23, right? My 23-year-old who's been marching in the protests and stuff like that saying, I won't buy from these companies for this reason. So that's all going to be really, really important. Online, offline, what the brand stands for and how can I create a customer experience where I'm focused on the product, not on selling something to you that I built. Now, for any of those 23-year-olds who might be listening to the podcast today, whether it's you know your children or the new college grads who are looking at the new uh, normal, what call to action would you have for listeners in general on the Humane Podcast? There's probably two, right? And one relates around things that we've touched on, which is we really need to think about how we're going to lead. And I lead, I'm going to separate from manage, meaning I can manage a bunch of teams at clients or at Parveda. I'm talking about how we provide leadership in the current world and right empathy, intentionality around those ceremonies that we used to have around coffees with people that sometimes might have been random and such. Um, vacations, right? And showing people that ultimately either that you have worries about things, but you can overcome that worry and, and how. So really, we're three months in, I can't prognosticate whether we're 12 more months in or two more years in, but we really have to figure out how we lead. And so for the 23-year-old, it's going to be ultimately how do you continue to build those communication skills in a world that is remote you know, for others of us, it's going to be around empathy, understanding that people have kids at home and that's going to be there for a while. And so really trying to think around how this virtual world and this hybrid world is going to work and adjust very quickly, because I don't think any of us know exactly what the answer is. 10,000 articles on it right now, but all quickly evolving. So really leading with empathy through this hybrid virtual work environment that's going to be shifting over the next 12 months. And then really the second one, which is a little bit related to it, which is we talked about the contactless shopping, retail experience, restaurants, right? Takeout. But how will contactless relationships work, right? Mm. If you really are going to build a relationship around uh, your brand and your brand by me yourself or your physical product, it still gets down to humans and relationships, how they feel, right? And so how in a traditional environment where we had dinners and we went out to dinners, we met with people, 
right? We connected with their offices, saw pictures of their families. We now have to create contactless relationships that are based on trust. And you can do that. It's the same things like me looking at the books in your background, right? Or us talking or when your dog snuck in the other day when we talked and we could talk about dogs, but it requires a bit more thought and it can turn out to be a bit more wonky. So really we're going to have to get better around those contactless relationships, which don't mean just texting or Snapchat or Facebook. I'm, I'm talking about still how we connect to people directly talking video and otherwise and still make them feel like you trust them right through gifts, through trying to learn through them, expecting nothing in return. So really leadership with empathy through this virtual hybrid virtual work and really too, which is how we build contactless relationships in a way that, that foster trust. Well, I hope that our contactless relationships do become contact relationships in the future. And we'll definitely get there over time as we get all the safe protocols put in place, as we've heard today in the show from the automotive and retail and restaurant industries to consulting and education. Stan Vlasimsky, Vice President of Paravetta Solutions. Thanks for joining us on the Human Podcast. Thank you, David. I enjoyed it. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Humane Podcast. Did the episode measure up to your thoughts on ML and AI, data science, developer tools, and technical education? Share your thoughts with me at humanepodcast.com forward slash contact. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review, and listen for more episodes of Humane. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.